Okay, everybody. So um, welcome back to another episode of the Proud to be Queer podcast. It's been a few weeks. We've taken some time off over the summer, but now we're going to start showcasing some more of the winners from QSA 2023. So we've already spoken to Taj and to Emma. Taj being our Queer of the Year and um, Emma being our Influencer of the Year. Taj um, was one of two winners for Role Model of the Year. And the second winner is with me now. Hello, Jasper. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. I'm very excited yes. to be here today. I'm very excited to have you. So first of all, congratulations again on um, being one of our two winners for the Role Model of the Year category for the LGBTQ plus youths. Um, I know, and I've, I say this to all the people that have won and to the finalists, that I don't get involved with the judging, but I read every single entry. And I remember yours. Um, more clearly now because I've been reading through it before we've uh, we've started recording today but yours was definitely the one of the ones that stood out when it came through so um, I'm very pleased that you've been recognized for all the fantastic work that you've been doing that we're going to talk about today. Yeah thank you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you to start with kind of we were just chatting before we hit record kind of about the fact that you've just finished A-levels and you're going to be going off to Oxford um, in a few yes. weeks. Um, Give us an insight into where you're at um, in your life at the moment, Jasper. Sure. So as you said, I'm a uni student or I will be in about 20 days time. Um, I'm studying English. Um, so I big on reading. I'm a poet. I've written books, not published, but I've written um, books on queer experiences, especially with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, What else can I tell you about myself? I like um, personalising my clothes, I paint, I embroider, um, and the reason that I am here on this podcast is because I have, uh, I did work with my um, Catholic school to kind of create a safe space for queer students where in the past there had been like a history of bigotry and malpractice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the things that stood out in the submission as well, along with, I'm going to come to that, the more serious parts of that um, in a second. But first thing that jumped out at me from your submission that I remember and that jogged my memory when I was reading through was the nicknames that were given to oh, you. Oh, God. Um, yep. You've got Mother Gay and Gay Jesus. Explain those to us. Sure. So those names are my transition because the school I went to, it was an all-girls school and I used to identify as a lesbian. I'm now a trans man um and I was one of the first people in my year to come out you know back when I was like 12 maybe Mm -hmm. 13 um and you know I was very I was very out and so people would come to me and I'd have people I didn't really know be like what does this mean what do what do I do with these feelings and so my friends started calling me mother gay um and I like to read it in the drag queen way but I think it was meant more in the mother Teresa way (laughs) Uh, but, um, then I got to sixth form and I started doing, I started doing more formal work and we did an exhibition and in the exhibition, they put up this little doodle of Jesus because we had to keep religious themes all the way through the work because it's a Catholic school. Um, and at the end I was given the little Jesus sketch and they're like, you are gay Jesus. And that that's my title um it feels very egotistical to say but i promise i didn't name myself gay jesus 
<laughs> awesome, I love it. So tell us more about the society that you founded. It must have been a, a big uphill um, challenge. I know from reading the submission that it sounds like it was. So uh, tell us all about it. Sure. So I think to like explain the society I founded, it's good to kind of give you context for the environment we were in. So mm. my school, I've graduated now, but it was my old school was very Catholic, used to be run by nuns, so that kind of environment. And it had mm-hmm. like quite a history of bigotry. We had my head teacher um, turn around a petition against gay marriage. Um, we had students outed to parents, things like that. Um, and oh, notably in one of our RE lessons, we've had te- we had a teacher go on a lengthy speech about um, the sins of homosexuality. So just not a safe environment. Yeah. Um, and I remember being young and questioning. And finding out about these things and them causing such like a conflict for me. Because questioning is inherently such a challenging time. You like it completely upends your worldview and it's complicated and it's abstract, but you work it out. And I'd got to the point where I understood my identity and I understood what I was. And I had this like internal piece about it. But then to step into school and learn these things and suddenly be faced with all this external conflict, um, like that was very influential to like my early experiences being queer um and Mm. it was worsened by a lot of the religious elements of my school because they tended to push much more traditional views and I used to be very religious I was when I was younger quite catholic I used to read I used to do the readings in mass (laughs) so I'd like get up in front of my congregation and do the first reading on the psalms um and like but I, I grew up and I was faced with the homophobia from the church, from the school, over and over again. And so, like, I lost my faith in my school and I lost my faith in the church. Um, and that was really damaging mm-hmm. to me. And I got older and, like, I can that's see really the new, you. younger students in my school. And I know that soon enough, or maybe even already, they are going through those same experiences. And I wanted to kind of insulate, you know, the future generations from that kind of trauma. Um and so me and a few of my friends, we campaigned for about two years to found a society in my school. Um, and it blossomed into this kind of big thing. And we created the real safe space. And then later on, we ran like exhibitions and other events around it. But yeah, we kind of and we also worked with the school to alter the curriculum Um because they tried to have a gay-friendly lesson, like educating, and it ended up devolving it to teachers reading out a list of slurs. Um, and so we helped them fix their curriculum. Um, and we created this safe space, and that's what I did. Sorry, that was pretty rambly, but uh, yeah. No, 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 it's all, it's all good, it's all good. And um, I mean, it's fantastic that you identified, first of all, that a space was needed mm-hmm. and that you took the bold move in that kind of environment, in my opinion, to kind of stand up and go, this is needed. You said back there that it was a kind of almost like a, a two-year process. What were some of the challenges that you faced along the way before you actually managed to get the society established? So it was a very frustrating process because what my school did to you know slow us down was hide behind bureaucracy which meant mm. i so i spent the two years like i submitted everything needed to be submitted very quickly very detailed there was no information missing 
and I made sure I had support from some teachers because you know not every teacher was going to be in support of it but I had support from important people and then I had to go to this like woman that was in charge of clubs and she just refused to submit it higher up and so we went to her for months and she just she would always like I'll do it soon I'll do it soon um and just like actively being like this stone ball blocking us from doing anything and so eventually we just Mm. skipped her and went to the next person up and it was the same with them um and so it was a process of them just like throwing every little thing we did back at us because nothing they did you could read as oh yeah they're clearly you know this is an intentional act of hate because you can't be obvious about this Mm. kind of stuff um, but yeah. we saw, you know, other societies were formed after us and got their paperwork through in a week. And ours took, you know, a full year plus. Um, and but we, we eventually get into this meeting with our head teacher um, and she t- she tells us like, oh, you can't include this and this and this. And they're all very obvious common sense things like, you know, your the, the society has to be age appropriate. We're scared and, you know, we're scared of you giving inappropriate material to the 12 year olds because um, secondary school is 12 to 18. And just like mm-hmm. all, there were a lot of assumptions that we were going to be inappropriate um, and that we were going to be somehow corruptive, um, which was the opposite of the intentions of the club. We got that. <laughs> that's what the ma- that's what matters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of um, resilience that must have been needed when you're continually faced with no's and with um, excuses for not being able to kind of do things. And there's things there as well that I'm hearing you say and that are mirroring, sadly, kind of a lot of the rhetoric that tends to kind of swirl around at the moment about sexualization and across uh, kind of the lgbtq plus community and drag queen bands and and everything that's going on isn't that and like you know every single resource that we made was something that i'd be happy you know reading to my grandma for like sake of not being inappropriate Mm. um and also introducing to a child i mean like some of the language was more complex but nothing was inappropriate and we were very very careful about that in fact that was one of the intentions that we went into this with like for the club because if you are a young queer person and you're questioning and you look up say lesbian on google and not everything that comes up is appropriate you know you you don't have to scroll far to get to the kind of things that an 11 year old shouldn't be seeing and like and as like an old not older because i am i'm aware i'm a young queer person but older in the school environment um, like I want to protect the kids from that. I want to make sure that they are seeing queerness not as something that's inherently sexual, but as something that they can identify with and explore and work out if it fits them without like any dangers to their well-being. Yeah, completely. And that, I mean, that's it. That's all about learning as a young person, isn't it? And about yeah. becoming aware of our identity and where we fit in the world and. Kind of, I, I hear you saying, kind of like I'm, I'm a young person, but I was older within the school. It's probably one of the reasons why the judges picked up on everything that you were doing in, in, with the work that was so amazing that led to you winning. Because you are ultimately, for those young people, a role model, yeah. and that's what you've been recognised for in the awards. And like, I, we went into the club knowing that, like, the role we were setting ourselves up for was role model. 
but um mm-hmm. but I didn't expect it to be the degree it was and like I like we really supported younger students and I like saw the impact that we had on them especially at the exhibition um in February which is LGBT history month we ran an exhibition mm-hmm. on kind of like self identity and expression um so we made a bunch of like posters about you know um historical LGBT figures and role models um and we displayed them alongside um student artwork on queerness and their identity um and then through the week we ran a bunch of events so we did a charity bake sale which was lovely because there was cake involved um <laughs> and we also did these um we made zines do you know what a zine is um i'm going to guess and if i'm wrong you can um tell me otherwise i'm going to it's an online magazine not, not quite um it's it's close sort of it's it's like a tiny it's a tiny magazine that you make by cutting up a, like single piece of a4 um and it actually has quite a strong history with the lgbt community because it's a very accessible way of self publishing so people have used it to right. um kind of portray lgbt experiences and lgbt like infographics for years it, i think it started in the 70s but don't quote me on that mm-hmm. um and so we had students make zines that were collages on how they identified and like what how they would define themselves and like it was just it was lovely we did it for we did it for longer than we planned on doing it and it was just yeah it was precious and you really got to see that community form as everyone like collaborated on making that art and like shared the giant stack of vogue that i brought in well that was very informative thank you i had no idea what that was i was me <laughs> thinking i was i knew exactly what i was talking about but um no that's great i'm gonna kind of look into those a bit more as well that sound really interesting they're really nice yeah um what are the one of the things that um, you were talking about before we started recording, but that was also within your submission as well, as well in, in, in addition to kind of um, running exhibitions for students and then encouraging them to be proud about who they are, you've also helped students process their um, queer gr- grief and rage. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So queer grief, I think, I think it's a, especially relevant issue in our current climate but in the school Mm -hmm. it was very important because the vast majority of the people who I was working with in my club had faced some kind of homophobia or had faced you know family rejection and I think unique to my school almost all of them had experienced a loss of religion and not everyone does and I I you know one of the people who led the led the club with me um, is still she's very involved sorry they're very involved in the church still and they're gay um, but a lot of people can't handle the homophobia in the church because you grow up with these beliefs and you trust in them and you get to an age where you realize that these these um, like key ideas of the church say actually no you are inherently sinful and mm. even if it's not written into the bible it is written into the culture of the church and students have a really hard time with that. I had a really hard time with that. I remember being very young and like learning about 
these perspectives. I remember going to Pride for the first time and the only negativity I saw the entire day was from religious people protesting by the drag queens. Um, and it's tragic and it shouldn't be an inherent part of being queer. I don't think that, you know, just being gay or being trans or being anything should mean that you have to face hate and that you have to lose a part of yourself. But that's how in, that's how in a lot of environments it is. And so we help students process that. And a lot of that was validating that the grief that like you can grieve and it's okay to be upset that you're losing this. Cause like I used to be mm. so religious. And, like I loved the church. And so and stepping away from that. Like the initial response when someone's like, we hate you, it's like, okay, well, I hate you too. But like when you are so involved in something for so long, you don't necessarily feel anger. It's just loss. And mm. students have a hard time with that. And I had a hard time with that. And so we help them process that. Um, and then also later on in the year, um, I'm sorry to bring up such a tragic event, but um, we talked about Priyanagi. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a really challenging session. Um, and like we processed collectively what her death meant for the community um, and just like giving them that space to kind of mourn and understand what had happened. Because, um, like I said, mm-hmm. some of the people in the club were quite young. I think we had some 14 year olds um, and just like. I don't want, I didn't want them finding out about that, um, like on the, on the way home, on the phone, you know, like somewhere where they couldn't process. Cause like when I was making the resources for that session, I was just sitting in my school library. And I remember sitting there, like, you know, like choosing fonts to write out this terrible event and like having to hold back tears. I, um, I ended up leaving. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm going to the bathroom to cry for a few minutes and then I'm going back to the work. But, you know, I um, queer grief is something that so many people deal with. I think it's hard to escape and I think it's important to give it space. <laughs> yeah, and, and thank you for being brave and sharing that as, as well. I mean, it must have been incredibly difficult and hard to process as well particularly as somebody who identifies as trans too Mm. um and i mean it's 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 sad that as a community we it's not that i feel sometimes i worry that we're getting to a point where it's not normal for people to be killed because of who they are if you get where i'm coming from but there's a certain normalization around abuse around people being attacked there's been people attacked outside um two brewers in clapham in the last month or so i think i just saw something on the news yesterday that said they finally found the person that did it um but the hate crimes have been on the rise ridiculously for the last kind of um number of years anyway the home office stats in the last 12 months have shown that for the lgbtq plus community it's it's kind of um gone up yeah. Um, I think it's about 40% when it comes to sexuality. But for people that um, identify as being trans, it's been 56%. And the, the large, largest proportional increase as well. So it's really important that 
people like yourself are supporting others and helping them to do the work that needs them to get through that. And also, in my opinion as well, Jasper, very commendable that you're doing that when you're going through the process yourself. It's a lot for um, a young person to take on. So my hat's (laughs) off to you. Thank you. I I think one of the things I've had to come to terms with, with um, understanding my gender, is like being trans Mm. is so visible. Like, at least with where I'm at right now, I'm not necessarily regularly passing, um, despite my best efforts. Um, and, so, like, people can tell. And it's... And you have to make the choice, like, for your own safety in, today, in day-to-day conversations. Like, am I going to let them think that I'm a woman, which I'm not, and, like, invalidate myself? Or am I going to prioritise my mm-hmm. safety? I am... Um, I went yeah. to America... A while ago, uh, to my boyfriend, and um, he lives in a very small town, very small rural Republican town. Like they had a cartoon sheriff, I swear. Um, and so I had to, and I, I stealthed the entire month, which I've never done before. Um, and it yeah. was something that, like, I made that choice for my mental health, but also because, like, if someone there knew and could tell that I was trans then I was genuinely in danger. Um, mm. And so, like, tackling that was challenging. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I have friends that live out in the States mm-hmm. at the moment, family as well, and I see everything on the television and I know kind of everything that's going on over there at the moment, particularly directed towards... It's absolutely insane. Um, so, and that Pete, the piece you're saying about kind of making a choice between kind of being yourself and ensuring that you're safe is something that nobody should have to carry around with them. I was, um, I was listening to one of the episodes this morning, actually, when I was out walking my dog with on, um, Katie, who, who hosted the awards this year, um, has got a podcast through, um, BBC Sounds, um, and one of the guests on there was talking about how they'd been discovered as a, um, a gay man living in Zimbabwe and had left to seek asylum here because that was the choice they had to make and they've not been back since because they've had to prioritize who they are over their safety. Um, they prioritize their safety over who they are. Sorry, um, so it that mu- it must be incredibly difficult to kind of navigate that kind of part of your life and your identity, and also kind of just growing up in general. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because I think like a lot of people my age and just teenagers in general, you spend the entire you know mm. your teenage years working out like. What am I? Who am I? What do I want to do? Especially when you're applying to university. Like, English? Okay. Um, yeah. And and so you do that. And I ignored my gender for so many years because I was like, I'm not dealing with this. There's too much going on. It was only really around lockdown yeah. that I started, like, I maybe actually cannot just ignore this. It doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, y- you, I think like discovering your identity it always comes in steps and this one was a big step and it's not over yet I don't think discovering yourself ever ends I'm always going to be learning new things about my identity I'm always going to be developing um I just 
you have to view it as a journey, you know, ongoing. A good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, and you know, I would completely agree with that. And I think that's a very um, mature way to look at um, kind of the life ahead of you as well, as, as somebody who is a good two decades older <laughs> than you plus. Um, I am a strong believer in kind of lifelong learning yeah. and developing. Um, it's a it's a sign, a very positive sign of maturity in somebody of your age to be recognising that. But it's, it's a life skill. You need to be able to kind of navigate through who you are and, and navigate your way through the world. And the sad reality of the world at the moment is that there's going to be a lot of changes that continue yeah. to happen as you grow up and as I get older. And if you're not able to kind of process those and deal with them, you're going to struggle. So um it's, it's really important to to recognize that and to be already practicing that in a way so yeah yeah right okay so what I did want to do was um before I let you go was ask for some advice from you that you would share with um either queer people or specifically queer young people that might be listening but what I will do is kind of just wrap up kind of around um recognizing again and congratulating you again for kind of being our one of our role models of the year um, this Thank year you. and let um, let the listeners that weren't at the awards and haven't seen the live stream kind of have a peek behind the curtain and and share what um, Katie read out on the evening about your work. So in terms of what the judges recognised and saw in you, they'd said that um, what Jasper has done is nothing short of incredible to continuously fight for an LGBT plus society for over a year in an inherently homophobic school setting is massively brave and important. Um, Jasper hasn't stopped there and continues to create safe spaces, events and educate staff and students on LGBT plus awareness and issues. Um, You've achieved so many things that growing adults would be scared to do. And I think anybody that's listening to this will agree with that because that's definitely what I'm hearing. So Jasper, um, before I let you go, and thank you again for your time, I would love it if you could share um, a piece of advice or several pieces of advice. You've obviously got a lot of um, things to impart on us. Um, (laughs) What would be the advice that you would give our listeners? So um, this has been on my mind quite a lot lately. I'm going to university in a few weeks, and I'd always been under this like impression that by the time I got to university, I'd be passing. You know, I'm like, six months on tea, my voice isn't like, my name is legally changed, all these things. Um, And I'd always been like, you know, by the time I get to university, I can like, I don't have to deal with this anymore. I don't have to deal with being so visible. Um, I don't really know where that like desire came from to just like completely ignore this part of me. Um, But, you know, I'm not at that point. And I'm certainly not going to be in the next two weeks. And and like a while I was really scared about that like because I know it's going to affect the way people interact with me and it almost dissuaded me from engaging in anything social around my university Mm -hmm. but I think the advice that I would give is do not put things on hold because you don't feel like you're finished um there is nothing good will come from me hiding myself away because I don't look the way I want to um, or I don't sound the way I want to. I um, there is a quote I can't remember what the quotes from, but it's um, 
we as trans people exist for the same reason that we grow wheat rather than bread, so that mankind can be involved in the act of creation. I love that quote. And, you know, being trans, being queer, you are given like a cookie cutter person. That's what you're raised as. And then you create yourself. You form yourself. You work out who you are, what impact you want to have on the world, what impact you want to have on the people around you. And it's okay for that to not be perfect. It's okay for that to be ongoing and for your goals to maybe be distant and to and for it to be slow progress because you'll get there. And don't wait to be finished. Like, yeah. It's not phrased the best, but you know what I mean? I know what you mean, yeah. It's very, it's um it's got a lovely sentiment behind it and is echoing everything that you've been um saying with me today. So thank you for sharing that advice with us. Um a bit of fun before I let you go. If we were to add a song onto our playlist that we have for guests that have been on the pod that um, best encapsulates Jasper, what would it be? So I've been thinking about this the entire time we've been on the podcast because I completely forgot <laughs> I needed one until you said at the beginning. Um, and I have a song, but it, it like the name is a swear word. I'm not sure if that's allowed. Go for um, it, go for it. Okay. So it's by Dog Park Dissidents, which is a gay punk band that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Queer as in Fuck You. Um, and I love that song. Uh, <laughs> it's my favourite. I'm going to go and find that on Spotify now and have a listen. <laughs> it's great. It goes very hard immediately. Um, but yeah, that, that that's my song. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if it's going hard immediately, then I will like it because I'm looking for songs that I can use for my um, marathon training at the moment. So oh, yeah. I, need, I need things that are going to kind of put make me push especially in this heat um look jasper thanks so much for your time it's been really great to have you on the podcast to learn a little bit more about kind of the amazing work that you've done that's behind the nomination that led to you being selected as of one of the winners at qsa 2023 um i wish you the best of luck for um your first kind of steps into university at oxford um, I'm sure you're going to continue to make waves in that new space as well. Um, and I look forward to um, hopefully involving you, inviting you along to future awards as well to come and tell everybody what you've been doing. Yeah, I mean, thank you for having me. And, you know, I just want to be involved however I can. Mm-hmm.